how many times do we go through a crisis and those who are the most highly paid, who've been educated in exactly the same way, who have exactly the same outlook on the world, are pulled into a boardroom to solve a crisis. Is that diversity of thinking? Not for me, it's not. The Hearing. A legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. The Cross-Examination. Hi, I'm Becky Anderson, Senior Editor at Thomson Reuters, and welcome back to our second Cross-Examination episode. We've stuck with the impact of COVID-19, but we're moving on to the cultural impact of lockdown, how lawyers' personal lives are being affected, and why we need to be mindful that diversity and inclusion stays firmly on the agenda. This is, of course, a tragedy, but we shouldn't be passing up the opportunity to improve the legal industry in this opportunity that COVID-19 has gifted us. The cross-examination. We're going to hear now from Jens Nastrum, occupational psychologist and researcher, who's got a focus on efficacy and well-being in lawyers. He's been studying how lockdown has been affecting lawyers in particular. There's a seismic shift here. It's, it's really, I mean, it's a global tragedy, but for the legal industry, uh, there is a lot of great hopes in what we're seeing in terms of, of the shifts, because when you send everyone home, a lot of people are experiencing reduced stress and they don't have to commute. They have more time and they are not disrupted and distracted in the same way. They have improved work-life balance. They have better relationships at home. Uh, now I'm just talking on a general basis. There is a minority that are struggling a lot more and they are the um, newly employed, the young ones, the junior ones. In particular, if you have a really small apartment where you're just eating, sleeping and working in the same place. If you don't have a family, if you don't have a partner, because the big drawback in this situation is that the physical, social environment is gone. The other concern I have is that there is a particular um, personality that is being systematically recruited into professional services and, and law firms. And that is you want to have the sort of super performers, the type A personality, the insecure overachievers. And, and some of them are really uh, self-critical. Uh, when you look at research on, on personality traits in lawyers, they are a lot more critical in the thinking and also pessimistic. And so there is a tendency towards this critical negative thinking. And I'm very concerned about people that are being isolated over time and who are not getting a positive social feedback and not getting that stimuli that you need because we're social animals and that uh, a small minority might be spiraling down into depression. I'm curious if you think that this situation is going to lead to any sort of seismic shifts in how we treat mental health in law firms and amongst lawyers. I mean, I've certainly noticed in my personal life now, when people say, hi, how are you? Is everything okay? It's no longer a pleasantry. They're genuinely asking and it's really lovely. And I've been sort of thinking, I hope that we keep that sense of actually genuinely asking. Do you think that there's going to be some sort of positive effects like that, which could change mental health in law firms even after this crisis is over? I see a, a deepening in relationships in the industry um, because people are suddenly, <laughs> they're seeing each other in new ways. Uh, most people are still very uncomfortable turning off the camera. So one kind of uh, unintentionally 
funny effect of this is that um, if you do get lawyers to turn on the camera, you will you will see something that you will usually not see, and that is a, a lawyer in an unprofessional setting. Uh, so I mean, you'll see them in t-shirts without makeup, unshaven, and <laughs> all sorts of things. Jeffrey Williams is a diversity and inclusion consultant with a strong background of working on cross-business strategy that utilizes DNI as a value-adding model to businesses. He agrees that the now frequent video calls we're having are really helping lawyers to bring their true selves to the new remoter workplace. I do think that the the veneer of, um, I guess, the corporate identity has been stripped away. So I know I've had conversations over the last few months where I've ended up speaking to someone's four-year-old four-year-old about Lego. I have waved at somebody's cat. I'm getting to see people in their true, I guess, honest spaces that they live within. I'm seeing people's art on the walls and books they have on their shelves. So there is a for many people, uh, especially for the ones that are socially established in the working place, they are deepening their relationships. Again, for the ones that are new and not well established, they don't have the same opportunity to do that. The risk group I see is the young ones, the junior ones, the lonely ones, the quiet ones. So there is a whole new need for a different leadership in the legal, legal industry. Suddenly, social intelligence is the is top of the line in terms of leadership because now you need to compensate for the loss of the social dimension that you don't have access to when you remove the physical office. So you need to spend a lot more time. You need to find who are the best leaders in terms of, of connecting and being present and checking in with, in particular, the junior uh, staff members. That's fascinating. So you're sort of saying that we that we need to value different things in our leaders during this period. Are there sort of, I don't know, um, one or two kind of key attributes that people who are listening could sort of think, oh, that's a skill that I need to work on, or I know a person who's really good at that. You know, what, what does good um, social leadership look like at the moment, do you think? I think it is as straightforward as being socially interested taking a genuine, spontaneous, uncontrived interest in other people and checking in and how are they doing, how are they feeling, being curious about it. Uh, just that classical social extroverted person uh, in the best sense of, of the word. The other part you need to review is meetings. You need to approach meetings online in, in a different way from the classical face-to-face -face meetings. It's not the same thing. And you need to make sure that the meetings are also covering a social dimension, addressing social needs, so that you don't have only a work-oriented meeting. What is it that you like that your manager does that really supports your well-being and your mental health? Well, it is. It's, you know, it's that call on a Friday afternoon at half past four, which is slightly less formal, easing you into the weekend, really checking in to see how you are. That's really important. That's Caroline White-Robinson, the Head of Knowledge Management and Learning Development at Shoesmiths. You'll hear more from her later. And Jens agrees. In some practice groups, I see that they are integrating, for instance, a morning meeting with a check-in and then a follow-up with a review of the work situation. In other groups, I see that they're adding like a virtual afternoon tea break 
So you need to have that mix. So you ensure that everyone is staying connected and checking in with each other uh, because otherwise you will have an erosion of the social life of the firm or the workplace, which will be disastrous over time. I think it's also that piece of doing fun things. So today I was on LinkedIn and I saw that a organization did a whole online voguing tutorial during for Pride Month. So all their all their employees logged in and everyone was learning how to vogue and the history of the ballroom. I think those things can be done. I, I know with my family, we've spent many an evening doing a, a music quiz. Um, so people are doing those things. So do them within your organization, do them at lunch times or what would be lunch times or do them like after work drinks or, you know, and, and do it in that way. Um, and I think that has happened, but I think it hasn't necessarily always been organized by the business at large. It's been created by those individuals that are community minded. And I think Organizations have to lean into that fact that they have a community of individuals that work for them, that are depending on them to see them, hear them and care for them. Something that has really struck me over the weeks that we've now been doing this lockdown is how there's been a real opening up and a real understanding that people are different and they have different needs and they have different home lives and they have different strengths and that we should all be more um, kind to each other's different weaknesses. And I think that my previous experience of the legal profession was that you put on your suit, you turned up to the office, you switched off your personality, no matter what they said about your personality, you switched it off and you just got your head down and put your six minute units in. And I, I have noticed this kind of real renaissance in sort of saying, you know what, people are different. And it was almost like when everybody had to work from home, we suddenly said, oh, there are some people who are going to really struggle working at home because they like being in an office. To which I would reply, you know what, there were some people who always struggled working in an office. But we didn't pay any attention to that. We just said, well, everyone works in an office and that's now how we do it. And I just feel that there's this amazing opportunity to look at the diversity of people across the board from mental health through to personal situations through to race through to gender through to everything and ability and say what how can we make the best of what everybody's got all of a sudden oh wouldn't that be a perfect world if we could if we could get everybody thinking along those lines i'm so with you I hate when I go to these conferences and the diversity agenda is a tick, tick box item and you can see the way that people think and it is literally if we do this, this tick box will be done and then we can say we're an employer of choice or you know, join us because we're amazing. And you're so right because for diversity, whilst race and ethnicity and gender, etc. are so important, there's all the subtitles of diversity as well that you've just mentioned about caring responsibilities and you know, we talk about people with small children. Well, you know what? What about the what about the people out there who are caring for elderly parents with dementia, who go walkabouts in the middle of the night? They're sleep deprived because they've spent three hours trying to find their their loved one. Uh, you know, where's where's the compassion that we give to them and make sure that actually they don't fall down the the talent poles or anything because they're not pushing themselves forward in the same way as somebody else. I'm absolutely with you. I think there's a real opportunity, and if we can encompass that, if we can throw our arms around all the different groups um, and challenges that we have within our within our business whether that's those who care for others those who are out in their community 
working, um, those who uh, are desperate to um, support a cause, pro bono work, whatever that looks like, the little the little groups that we have that naturally migrate together in any organization. If we can throw our organizational arms around a whole lot and say, actually, you know, you're all important. Everybody's important. Every view, every viewpoint is important. Then I think it's a better place for us to be. I couldn't agree more. I think that when I see people using diversity as a tick box exercise, I think nothing really saddens me more because it means that they are not grasping the opportunity. I mean, we've had this study out now from, I think it's Harvard Business. We've had a study out from Harvard Business for I don't know how many years that proves that the more diverse your team is, the better performing it is. And, and you know, if, if all of the arguments that it is morally right to have a diverse team don't persuade you, then why on earth would you not be persuaded by the Harvard Business Review telling you categorically that you'll be more um, productive, that you will have better outcomes if you have a diverse team? It, it always seemed to me such a crushing missed opportunity. And if there is an ability through COVID-19 to say, let's plug that missed opportunity, let's correct that gap, I'd be very happy with that as an outcome. How many times do we go through a crisis and those who are the, the most highly paid, who've been educated in exactly the same way, who have exactly the same outlook on, on the world, are pulled into a boardroom to solve a crisis? Is that diversity of thinking? Not for me, it's not. Let's make sure that we get people in from different you know, ethnicities, um, genders, career experiences, let's get them in and let's do a proper 360 degree look on the world and not just a, a very narrow look through the lens of a board or a managing partner or a GC. You know, let's let's open up that conversation because I genuinely believe that that's where the innovation will come from. That will be the, the, the force of change within our within our businesses. And will also be creating a culture where people want to be part of that because they feel like they have a voice and they feel like their opinion is heard. I think there's also a really important message around recognising how other people are actually human being and vulnerable and sort of embracing that. I know that we've been getting a lot of messages top down from Thomson Reuters, which has, have sort of said, when you are on a conference call or working with another team member, you don't know what they're dealing with at home. That's true. We don't know what people are dealing with at home right now, but we never did. We never knew what was going on for people at home. We didn't know if somebody was not neurotypical and, or had uh, caring challenges or something like that. And I think that for me, that concept of you never know what somebody's got going on at home. So always be kind. Absolutely. We have a quote that was, is used throughout Shoe Smith and it's by Stephen Covey and it's seek to understand then to be understood because you just never know as you say what's going on in someone's world and if you seek to understand if you go in with a, a nice questioning style of you know the tone of can you just pass the butter just that really nice tone it's non-confrontational just ask a few questions you might just find that there's a really important part of the jigsaw puzzle that you hadn't seen before and when you get that and you put it in place my gosh does it give you a really good view of, of what their world looks like when I was speaking to Jeffrey, it was very clear we both had concerns that the COVID-19 crisis has the potential to really derail the DNI agenda. 
we've had a number of studies now, haven't we, that black, Asian and ethnic minority people are disproportionately affected, disproportionately more likely to die. Um, they're going to be more likely to be key workers on the front lines. How on earth does the diversity and inclusion agenda stay on track? If you've made a commitment to diversity and inclusion within your organisation, I feel like it's something that you need to stick with. It's needed more now than ever. As leadership, you're going to be talking to people in virtual teams, in spaces that we have, haven't done in this way ever. So you're needing to have to think, how do you actually continue to build your team, build connection, build empathy, build conversation, deliver the work that you need to do? How do you do that? And I think there's a level of inclusion that is obviously going to play into that. Also, I think there's a need for managers and, and organizations to under, understand their staff more than ever. So effectively, you know, you just said uh, the BAME community is highly impacted uh, by COVID and probably are having more deaths in their, in, in, their, in their circles than European people. So it's kind of understanding how you're going to handle that as an organization and as a firm. It's about thinking about your DNI team and whether you're going to furlough them or make them redundant or if you're going to utilize them to think of all the different ways that you're going to intersect on your culture currently while everyone's not within your four walls. I just wonder if there's any other ways in which we can push the diversity and inclusion agenda at this time. Is there, is there a sort of a, a chink in the armour? Are there any kind of doors opening or opportunities that we've been presented that we didn't have before? I think the opportunities that were there before are still there. I think it's just you just got to nuance the way you approach it. So it's currently Pride Month. You know, has your organisation sent out a happy Pride message? Have they addressed the Black Lives Matter movement that's taking place? Have they had a conversation? Have they have they sent out a note? Because effectively, you're going to have black employees sitting in your organisation not seeing themselves represented in any of the narratives going on while they know they can switch on the news and see marches and, and people fighting for equality and their organisation hasn't said anything. In all reality, you should address it. You should, you know, let your position be known. Um, and I think those are the things that, organizations even now even during lockdown need to continue to do i don't think it's like oh well you know we're in covid so we're not going to celebrate pride i think that's a missed opportunity in the sense of your culture and what you stand for if you stood for it before covid you stand for it during covid i think that i'd like to talk to you now about the areas that law firms and company leaders what can they be doing to, to really take care of their diverse workforce because actually, as you said, a lot of people, they're in a lot of pain, there may be a lot of grief, there may be some physical hardships. What can companies do to open their arms and really take care of people? I think there's the reminder to people that are people managers to ask questions. You might not want to hear the answer, but ask the question. I, th I think there is uh, the need for businesses to continuously share, push, and let people know if they have EAP services um, that people can, can lean on for either um, mental health support or someone to speak to f for you know a voice that's outside of the organization. I think there's a level of acknowledgement that needs to go, go into some of the comms that are coming out from organizations. And I think there's also that piece of not putting the burden on your employee base to uh, do your diversity and inclusion work or to give you all the answers. There are a lot of consultants out there that can help your organisations devise your strategies and coach you through this. And I think sometimes there's that burden of, oh, we have a black employees network. Let's turn to them to now do this piece of work. And I think that's 
not the right thing um you know you've employed those people for the specialities that they bring to their day jobs not to, to be your mouthpiece for diversity inclusion there's been a lot of discussion about how trainees in particular have been affected by this crisis the people who are doing training contracts at the minute um, they're not getting the supervision um, in the same way that they used to and actually we might automatically leap to think well that's a real negative because they're not in the office with people but for those people who actually were working in open plan offices where it was incredibly busy often a challenge to really concentrate for some of them there's a real positive message that's come out of this which has said they've been able to get that dedicated thinking time um, and and the positive stories are there for for the working from home aspect I don't think anybody can get away from the fact that we are we are humans and we like human to human contact and some of the learnings that you take are the informal learnings that the, the coaching and the mentoring that happens when you've been on a call or when you've overheard a colleague do something so I don't think we can take away from that but what I am excited about is the fact that the trainees that we've got have now got a voice to be even more vocal about what they want the future to be like. And we certainly need to use this as an opportunity to embrace the technology and also make sure that the connections that they have, human to human connections, are really quality connections. Um, you know, I, I, I often think that we think it's it's great that people sit beside each other and therefore they've got human to human interaction but for every positive interaction there is there's often a very negative side of it most people i've ever worked with over the last 15 20 years could certainly point to a supervisor or a colleague who was bullish or aggressive or knocked the confidence out of them you know and i think we have an opportunity here now to to think about the behaviors that we've got in the organization and um, make sure that those interactions that trainees have are really quality interactions i think there's a, a an acceptance now um, that people don't want to go back to the ways of working historically. And, and that's not just trainees, that's everyone. I think there was a YouGov poll over the last few weeks that suggested that eight out of 10 people don't want to go back to the way they were working previously. And trainees um, have a voice now on that platform to say, let's imagine something new, something different. And I also think this is an opportunity for law firms to redesign how they use trainees and how they um, think about the structures going forward. Because you know, as a futurologist, do I think that law firm structures are going to be the same in 10, 15, 20 years time? Probably not. Do I think that the traditional way to be promoted in that industry is going to be the same? Probably not. And particularly where we have great trainees, I think there will be an opportunity for them to get involved in this changing world, you know, and be part of projects that perhaps we didn't even envisage 18 months ago that because this pandemic has offered us an opportunity, are now coming to the front. I think that sounds quite exciting. I'm curious, though, what we can be doing as more senior lawyers and any partners who might be listening to this or GCs who might have a trainee in their organisation, what things we should be doing differently to assist them during this period? Firstly, it's the adult-adult conversation don't treat them like they're not an adult and that they're incapable of handling you know difficult or challenging messages you know include them in the conversation be that person that's open to new ideas hear it from their perspective rather than dismissing things that you don't agree with seek to find more information about the areas that you've never thought of before when you talk about graduate programs that's what happens everyone comes in on their first day and they see where the organization could be doing better or could change a process or a practice that might speed things up and they raise their hand and they say hey i just got here but wouldn't it be great if you just removed that one little widget 
from that thing because it would save you 45 minutes or it would save you a day's worth of work. And, you know, everyone looks at them and says, you've only been here a day. How dare you tell me what widgets to remove? And I think there's a level of understanding that those fresh eyes, those young eyes are going to are able to see things that we are all blind to because we've been sitting in the environment for so long. So when your grads and your interns and your pugilage, people doing their pugilage come in and make these suggestions, go with it. Don't poo-poo it and don't say to them, oh, well, what do you know? Trainees don't want to be classed in the same way that trainees were 20 years ago. The world is just not like that anymore. So I would be encouraging everybody, every partner that I work with, you know, have those quality engaged conversations with them and and be open and be vulnerable yourself as a, as a senior leader and say, listen, reverse mental for me. I don't have all of the answers here. You know, you need to tell me what you need. I have four children and I certainly know that my seven-year-old teaches me far more about technology than I would teach myself and he's so adaptable to it um, that it's his norm. So I'd encourage every senior partner um, or leader in a business to actually just say to a, to a trainee, okay this is new to me, walk me through it, talk me through it, let me hear your perspective, let me see it from your eyes and, and, and ears. Um, and I get, you know, I think that encourages the great cultures that we're trying to establish it encourages buy-in on both sides and it shows vulnerability as well and I I know that's going to be a big challenge for some leaders in law you know because they are that person that they feel that they've you know got to beat their chests perhaps but is that the culture you want going forward I'm not sure it's going to work you know um, in the next five ten years as we try to encourage more millennials into the into the workspace um, and, and meeting us on a 50-50 basis in terms of what they want from us and what we need from them. It does seem to me that we've had this amazing opportunity presented to us. And I don't want to downgrade the tragedy of COVID-19, but I am always trying to look for a way to build a better world tomorrow. And it does seem that this has been gifted to us to completely revolutionise the way that lawyers approach their entire industry. I do think the the real shift comes to approach to work because once we go back to a new normal, there's going to be new demands, new expectations on remote work. And so previously, we know now that the technology was mature. Everyone had the basic skills to work uh, in remote, but there was... It wasn't really quite accepted in many workplaces. There was a distrust in terms of performance. Some people were second-guessing their own capability of performing from home. And then other people were sort of questioning their, their colleagues' capacity. Now we see that everyone is performing really, really well when it comes to the core legal work. And so when we come back, there's a new level of trust in terms of performance or of being able to to work better together, to collaborate. And when I look at research, I see that performance actually probably has increased by about 10%. People are working really harder and longer now. Yeah, you take less breaks when you work from home. Of course you do. And a lot of the younger ones that are really driven, they just keep working. Their, their work days just get smudged into the evenings. So they have a problem with, with finishing their, their work days. I think it's amazing that what people are achieving at this current time, you know, I think it was everybody was kind of gearing themselves up for a loss of productivity. 
But I have just been astonished by the amount that people have managed to achieve. They flexed their diary. They flexed the way they work. They've woken up and realized that, you know what, I'm not really a morning person. So, you know, I'll do a bit of my admin in the morning. But by golly, by you get me at two o'clock in the afternoon and that's me woof till kind of you know, eight o'clock at night and I'm on it. That's that's my peak time. And we talk very much in, in the L&D world about circadian rhythms and you have a, a downtime in your day and an uptime in the day. And unfortunately, the regular nine to five thirty doesn't take into account when people are, you know, at their peak, as it were. And we almost force people into these unproductive time zones. I don't for one minute think that Einstein or Edison sat in a room and came up with innovative ideas between 9 to 5.30. The real interesting thing comes when they come back to the office. Because if you decide to implement remote working one or two days per week, you're going to get a self-selection process. So the ones that are really thriving working from home one or two days per week, they will keep doing it. But a lot of people will say, hey, this wasn't for me. I'm, I'm actually more distracted or I have a toddlers at home or I like the work-life boundaries of commuting to and from work. So when I look at previous research, the, the 10% soars to 20 or 22% because suddenly people have a choice and they will make the choice that suits their personality and, and their life situation uh, even better. So that's where my real hope is because then you're going to see a reduction in stress in uh, burnout, you're going to see an increase in job satisfaction, work-life balance. You're going to see a radical decrease in, in staff turnover and an increase in productivity. So this is an incredible, amazing opportunity if you can facilitate into the post-corona working environment with what, what I call the hybrid work model. So it's not about remote working for everyone. There is a hybrid model that is flexible for each and everyone. That's certainly my hope as well, is that we kind of, now that we've tested it under the most difficult circumstances, what, what on earth could we achieve if we rolled it out under less difficult circumstances? All of the innovation that we are striving to get to in the legal world, um, whether it's technology, whether it's family-friendly policies, whether it's what our clients want us to achieve for them, those ideas have got to come from somewhere and I truly believe you know a more flexible workforce this opportunity where we're all being encouraged to get out and get an hour's worth of, of walking a day or exercise I mean I don't know what it's like where you live but certainly I've never seen so many people exercise in the area that I live in and I think that's just down to the fact that people are so desperate now to get outside and have a walk but for me the innovation flows from free thinking and daydreaming and just imagining what if so I think there's a real opportunity now just to step back and say, as long as the work is getting done and you're meeting client deadlines that they need, does it matter if it's done at 7 a.m. in the morning or 11 p.m. at night? If, if that works for you as an individual, then that works. But I think, again, there needs to be that flexibility and trust that goes with that to say, oh, look, somebody's not online at 11 o'clock in the morning. OK, they must not be working when actually they might not be online, but they might be doing a huge amount of reading and just not have turned their laptop on yet. I think the trust point is very interesting. I've been a remote worker, home-based, for about seven years now. And I think this, the trust sort of goes two ways, and I'd like to get your view on that. Firstly, you need to have a great relationship with your supervisor. They need to trust that you're at home being productive. But I think that you need to have some trust in yourself that what you're doing is important and valuable and enough 
I think there's a definite move towards outputs value. Um, and what I mean by that is law is, has been dictated by the six minute unit or you know, how many transactions are you dealing with at any one time. And it's very quantifiable. And, and as you say, we've been thrown into this new world where boundaries aren't quite as sturdy as they used to be, um, you know, which can cause anxiety in itself. And the work's more fluid and we're doing it at different times in the day. And there might not be the same people on the team because you know people have been furloughed or um are having to take time out for childcare etc so it's all it's much more fluid now and i think all we can do is really get lawyers and partners to focus on the outputs what am i generating if i'm generating good quality um information and knowledge and, and solutions for my clients then that's for me got to be the metric that's got to be the bar i would encourage everybody not to go back to the well i only spent 45 minutes on that and i should have spent an hour on it let's stop just you know checking ourselves in terms of the amount of time we spend and this presenteeism if we could just get much more to outputs i think that would be that would be revolutionary i know there've been conversations every year since i joined law you know 15 odd years ago where people have talked about um, can we go with value based billing rather than time recording and it goes round and round the houses but i think there's a real opportunity now and i think in some respects if we could change some of that culture the anxiety that that partners and senior leaders would have either in themselves or trusting other people to do this that would be changed overnight because as long as you can see the output then do we need to question when or where or how it was generated if there was one mistake that you wanted to warn people about one thing you wanted to say, please, please make sure that you are not doing this or that you are doing this for your mental health in these unusual times, what would that be? Create a ritual for ending the day. Decide when to end the workday. Um, make sure you eat properly. Get out of the house every day. Get fresh air. Move around. Uh, pick up new hobbies or old hobbies. You, you know, it, you need more stimuli than you usually do. So pick up the guitar. Start doing a homemade pizza. Uh, make the very best out of the situation and explore it because there are lots of opportunities that you don't have. So if you have a partner, play around with ideas and and uh, take the opportunity. And then when it's time to go into post-corona, keep the best pieces that that you were able to to identify and, and enjoy in this situation. Jens is right, of course, bookending your day is really important. But what I love about Jens example of picking up a guitar is that it's something which isn't involving a screen and that it's really creative. And I think that's got to be the key to it. Your end of day ritual has got to be personal to you. COVID-19 does not make equality and diversity less important, it makes it more important. There is a greater need than ever for law firms and organisations to keep that focus on the diversity and inclusion agenda, to make sure that no employees are left behind. Because if they do, they are going to emerge from 2020 stronger and better placed to serve their clients and more adaptable in this fast-changing world. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the cross-examination for the hearing as much as I've enjoyed hosting it. And I hope you'll join me for our exciting upcoming episodes. If you like, please give us a rating, review us and subscribe to the podcast. That way you'll be alerted to all the new episodes as they come out. The Hearing. The Cross-Examination. A legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. To find out more, go to tr.com forward slash the hearing.
or subscribe via iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.